verse 1 says, Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. Now, you know, John, he, John's like the last gospel written. Matthew, Mark, Luke came before John. John, so he gets a little bit retrospect. He gets to add details, you know, that the other gospels didn't have. So he's like, yeah, he had, he had dinner with Lazarus, the guy who rose from the dead. Imagine that you're always, from, from now on, you're the guy that's known like, hey, that was the dead guy. That was, that was the dead guy. Like, every dinner you go to, psst, hey, that's Lazarus, that's him. He's the guy that was dead. Jesus called him out of the tomb. So yeah, he's the guy that was rose from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. Could you imagine one of your kids breaking a bottle of perfume? Your house would be filled with fragrance too. But you might not be happy about it. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, again retrospect, said, that perfume was worth a year's worth of wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. This morning I want to, I want to speak on this topic, an unexamined heart. An unexamined heart. So, you know, for Mary, that day she was willing to take a risk. Because in the first century, uh, women were not necessarily included. They were serving, but they weren't included in the religious discussion and the, and the religious meals like that. Now, I'm not, don't, don't kill the messenger. I'm just telling you in first century, that's what it looked like. And so uh, she, would have, she would have served, but she wouldn't have been in a part of like the worship, religious discussion, things like that. But something about Jesus moved Mary. She loved the Lord. She wanted to express worship to him, but it was a risk. I mean, how would he respond? It almost is like the Old Testament story of Esther, how Esther, you know, she wasn't, even though she was married to the king, she was the queen, but she was not allowed to come into his presence unless he bid her to come. So to just show up unannounced, he would have to extend a scepter of grace to allow her to come in. So she was not invited, but Esther, the Jews were about to be destroyed and annihilated. And so, and so she, you know, Haman. And so she was like, I, 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 I got to get in there. So she prays and fasts with her people and she comes before the king. Thank God he extends the scepter. She walks in and a whole nation is saved. I just wonder if any of these stories, because that was in the Old Testament, were any of these stories going through Mary's head as she came and said, I just feel, I got to get in before the king. I got to get in there. I'm willing to take a risk. But what would happen? She already knew. Well, does it, the disciples, they've already shooed away children. Shh, get out of here. Get, get going. No, the master's busy. What is, what is going to happen when I, as a woman, come into this religious meal, this religious discussion, and, and I walk in with the prayer and the hope of just doing something extravagant? But none of the tradition really seemed to matter to Mary. She made up her mind, I am going to worship Jesus. I'm going to get into his presence. She wanted to express gratitude for all that he had done for both her and for her family. And so she brought her prized possession. No doubt this was most likely the most valuable thing, this most valuable earthly thing that she owned. 
There was probably nothing in her house, nothing in her possession that was more valuable than this box that she was bringing before Jesus. That she simply broke and poured it on him in tears and wiped his feet with her hair. But think about it. We don't, we don't earn God's blessings. Like, you can be perfect from here on out. You're not going to earn God's blessings. We can't buy favors from God. I don't care how much you give to the church. Like, you know, God doesn't owe any of us anything. But biblically, stories like this show us God is moved when we offer something of value to him. This is why, and I have to digress a minute and say, this is why I believe God's blessed so many people throughout our stewardship campaign. It ended in January. It was a two-year campaign, and so many of you stretched in ways where you made a pledge that you were like, oh, Lord, I don't have a clue unless God helps me. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Ah, but we look back, and I can count at least 17 individuals in this church that God has given a promotion, a raise. Something has happened because you stretched and gave to the, to the stewardship campaign, and you and God has elevated you in the natural world. Because God is moved. You didn't earn anything, but God is moved when he says, you've taken something of value. And, you, and we, anything, stewardship is time, talent, and treasure. That's why, too, God, he blesses people. I was just talking to someone about this, about how there's so much giving to the kingdom, and God is elevating them, and they're like, I don't even understand why. I don't know why this is happening, but they serve here and give so much of time that God recognizes that, and he says, I want to elevate them because they give me something of value. And really, the two most valuable things that we have our time and money. And so, again, if you've, if you've made a pledge, please continue. Follow through. Not only are we counting it, but, but I believe God blesses that. And so, Mary, she, she brought this most prized possession before Jesus. Her feelings were well beyond anything she could express with words. She felt like the level of gratitude she had could only be expressed by action. And that is often why, too, you see people walk into the church and they're like, what do you need done? What can I do? It's not like they just love me and want to help me because they see I'm busy. No, it's something about I want to start serving because Mary looked at it and goes, look what you did for my brother. Look what you did for me. Look what you did for my family. I want to express worship. I want to give something of value. And that's why. Why too? Someone like James Chester walks in, gets filled with the Spirit, and God, and he's like, "Hey, you guys are putting together a playground set. I'll be there." And works in the heat with me for hours as we put together a playground set. Like the second weekend, he comes to church because when God starts to do something, you see it, and you're going, "Wow, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. I want to give something back." And we can never repay God. But there's something in us that says, I want to serve you. I want to be a part of what you got going on, God. And so Luke 7 tells us that Mary began to wash his feet with her tears. Now just pause because sometimes we sit here and we go through a scripture and we move on to the next scripture. And we just talk and wait for the altar call. But like imagine you got to put yourself in that position. Put yourself in that room, most likely a small room, much smaller than this. That this woman walks in and the men are sitting here talking and Martha's serving. And you're having this religious conversation talking about life, maybe fishing, I don't know, right? 
And so they walk in. I looked for Andrew, and they didn't see him. Um, so you walk, they walk in, and, and, and they come, and, and all of a sudden this woman busts through the door, and she's weeping, and tears are streaming down her cheeks, dropping off her chin, so much that she's washing his feet with her tears. This is not just like a one random tear. This is like an emotional moment where this woman is bringing the most valuable thing, like our stewardship campaign dinner. There wasn't a dry eye in the place because God moved in that place. And the leaders of this church were weeping as we brought something valuable to God, a pledge. And for her, she walked in, and she had this, this alabaster box, this ointment, this fragrance, and she broke it. And tears are streaming on her face and falling on Jesus' feet, and she lets down her hair, and she's wiping her, his, the tears off of his feet with her hair, which in that day, the, the foot washing was a big thing, and it was not because of just a religious act, but they walked around in dust and dirt. There weren't paved streets. And so no doubt, this was a humbling thing that she was doing as she was weeping and worshiping who she deemed to be the savior of the world. Can you imagine the, the emotion that filled the room? Some might have been crying with her. Others might have been like, what's wrong? What's she doing? But for her, she did not care. She was like, I'm in the presence of Jesus Christ. And I am worshiping him and offering him the most valuable thing that I have. And she was so grateful. And just like true heartfelt worship does, even in a service like today, there's a beautiful fragrance that fills the room. Exactly how our prayers are to God. Look in Psalm 141. It says, accept my prayer as incense offered to you and my upraised hands as an evening offering. Do you realize right now, leave that scripture up, that if you at any point today went like this. That it was like you were offering, you were giving God an evening offering. Something so simple. This is not like Pentecostal tradition. Like, well, this is just what we do around here, so you might as well just throw your hand up. No, that there's something that happens when God is receptive as his people will raise their hands and surrender and worship unto him. It's like an evening offering. I mean, just right now, why don't you just pause and just raise your hands to him? You say, well, I don't do that. That's not typical. I'm not, I'm not accustomed to that. But it's scripture. If I could just raise my hands and say, Jesus, I I offer this to you. Let it be an offering to you, God. I surrender to your power and your will in my life. What a powerful act, something so simple that we can do. But he says, your prayers, my prayers are like incense, the sweet-smelling incense that comes up as an aroma before the throne. One translation says, may my prayer be like special perfume. Again, I wonder if Mary, if it crossed her mind at all when she says, oh, I think about that psalm. I'm going to literally bring in perfume. Oh, I think about Esther, and I'm going to take the risk to walk in there and just see what happens. You know, I just wonder how much she was really looking back and thinking about. Maybe nothing. I don't know. But then during one of the most beautiful moments of worship captured in all of the Bible, think about it. There's a lot of beautiful things in the Word of God, but this has to be top ten. Most powerful moments of genuine worship. As she's weeping, tears are falling on his feet. 
She's wiping them with her hair. She just broke the box of the most valuable thing that she owns. And she's just crying and worshiping. Imagine what it felt like in that room that day. And Judas pipes up and goes, Hey! That perfume could have been sold and given to the poor. What in the world? The 21st century version right there. You ever been in a public situation with someone? And they start, they say something, and you're embarrassed for them? Has that ever happened to anybody? There's this thing called emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence. Intelligence, you know, like, hey, it's common. That's, that's smart. Hey, I can, two plus two is, is four. Ten times ten is. I looked at the youth, and they all stared at me like. Intelligence, but emotional intelligence is being aware of reading people and the way things are going. And, you know, for me, sometimes I lack emotional intelligence because I really get into my message. And, you know, people might be looking at the phone, falling asleep, and it's time for me to wrap up, you know, but I keep going. You know, that would be, that'd be lacking emotional intelligence. But emotional intelligence, you know, like, when it's right. If, if somebody just got done sharing something with you and they're crying and they're going, I'm really struggling, you don't probably go... You know what, though? I hope the Bucks win tonight in the NBA Finals. You're like, or getting up at a funeral where the family's in the greeting line, and you're like, hey, I got a joke for you. Why did the chicken cross the road? And you're like, there's a dead body right here. What's wrong with you? You know, people, people do things, and, and sometimes, he, you know, you ever have a friend, a family member, somebody in your life, don't look at your neighbor or your spouse but anybody have a person in their life that you're going, I know somebody who kind of lacks emotional intelligence. Anybody? I'm the only one? Two, three. Okay, all right, good, 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 okay. Because so I thought, man, that whole, just, that whole just discourse right there was worthless if none of you have anyone who's not emotionally intelligent. And so some of you are probably just worried to raise your hand because they might be sitting next to you, maybe. Huh? <laughs> but you actually get embarrassed for them. You're like, hey, yeah, man, I'm sorry, I don't know, yeah. And you start trying to, like, bail someone. Even though, even though you're not the one that said it, you, you feel this emotional responsibility to try to, like, apologize for the person standing next to you because it's just so awkward. I wonder, I wonder if anybody was like, yeah, Judas, he's, that guy's crazy. I, I'm sorry. I mean, like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what's up with Judas. He's been crabby lately. <laughs> you know, I mean, like. This woman is weeping. She just, the, the, the room is filled with perfume and she's wiping his feet with her hair. And he's like, hey, what in the world? That could have been sold and given to the poor. You're just like, oh, awkward. And you see, John, Judas, his question, does, but it, when we look at it, it doesn't really seem that unreasonable, does it? I mean, what could be wrong with a humanitarian suggestion? Caring for the poor. But John's gospel doesn't stop there because, again, he has the luxury of looking backward, being the last gospel written. So he gives us a little detail that uh, adds on to the story in verse 6. He says, hey, not that he cared for the poor. 
Because maybe he knew that somebody in 2021 is going to be sitting in a church going, well, that's not bad. He should care for the poor. John's like, hey, FYI, let me give a little bit of more information. This guy didn't care for the poor. Matter of fact, he stole regularly. He took money for himself, the disciples' money that was all, they held all things common. And he took some of it for himself. He was in charge of the money. He was stealing. Now, no doubt, they didn't know this. I don't believe for a moment that they knew this at the moment. Because even when Jesus says, he who dips with me is the one who will betray me, you don't, you don't even know, not, not one gospel says anything about the disciples being like, it was Judas, whoa, check it out. Like, they had no inkling of, of a thought that he might have been the betrayer, from what we can tell. So, they, so John's probably writing this again in retrospect, maybe even breaking his ink, just like, yeah, and then the guy, we missed, and the guy was stealing from us the whole time. John, he's a funny one. He'd sneak those in. Yeah, the disciple that outran the other disciple. You know, he just sneaks in those little, little pieces of information. But John clarifies that there was a deeper issue going on for Judas. Hey, he said this, but this guy didn't care for poor people. He was stealing things for himself. Why? Because there was a deeper issue going on in Judas. And guess what, folks? There always, always is a deeper issue. One wise person said this to me, the issue is never the issue. Anyone ever heard this before? You're like, well, it's kind of confusing. What does that mean? Well, in counseling, somebody comes to me and says, my husband wears these pink pants. I have a pair of salmon pants, but not pink. And I will, I will let you know, my wife hates them with a passion. I said, well, the boys got some. I got them just to match the boys. She's like, they're six. I'm like. <laughs> anyway, if somebody comes in and says, well, my husband wears pink pants, and I hate it. And he's like, what? I like these pants. Go back and forth. The issue is, well, the, the pink pants are the issue. No, it's not. No, it's not. When you begin to dive into that and talk, you find out, well, it just feels like every time I ask something, he doesn't hear my voice. I feel like I'm not even loved. Well, that's because she thinks this, and she talks to me like this, and there's no respect in our home, and, and so I'm going to listen to what she has to say, and, and you start to go into it, and the pink pants, that has nothing to do with nothing. There's something underlying that has been going on for some time that is causing the issue to feel like this is the issue and that has nothing to do with it. And so the issue is never the issue. Jesus puts it this way. He says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. Of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You ever have somebody say something to you, and they go, ah, and they say something, and it kind of cuts in, and you're like, and they're like, ah, I was just kidding. And you're like, that well springs from somewhere. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, how does something get in our heart? Heart. How does it make its way in? Scripture tells us we'll know one another by the fruit that we bear. 
And so, you don't have, well, you're so judgmental. Well, no, you don't. The Bible says we can know each other by our fruit. So if Abigail Acosta goes over to Susanna and says, hey, I just wanted to tell you something about Sophie. Um, you know, she's like, I just can't believe it. And then Abigail Acosta walks away from them and goes to Teresa Hamilton and says, uh, you know Michael Chester in the front row? Like, I just... And then she leaves that and goes over to Sarah Chester and says, you know, um, I heard Pastor and Sister Jackie talking the other day. And um, I can safely say, oh, she's probably a gossiper. <laughs> I don't have to have this, the word of wisdom or knowledge come into my brain and talk to me. I can just know her by the fruit, which she's not at all. It's a great, great woman of God right here. But I, I, could, I, I can just look at the fruit and say, hmm, that doesn't make it. If you, after every service, like you can watch the boys, and they want to go outside, and they want to throw a football after every service, they'd be content if we had service from 10 to 11, and then they threw footballs from 11 to 4. They'd be fine with that. So I don't have to ask around to say, you know what, I think these guys like football. You know them by the fruit that they bear. And so when we begin to speak certain ways, our words are a reflection of what's inside our heart. Well, how does something get inside our heart? Well, it's going to get in there some way. Most of the time, it's through this or this. And so that's why Pentecostals, we will really emphasize about what we watch. Back in the day, they would just say, don't have a TV in your home. And people thought we, our denomination was so strict. Well, now it's kind of hard to do that because you're, you walk in the TV on your phone and walk the TV on your iPad and all this stuff. And so what are you saying? Well, now you can't really just say one thing, but you were preaching principles. So I'm not going to come into your home and be like, all right, let me see your history. I want to go through all the things you've watched in the last six months. You have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you that should convict you based on certain things that you listen to or watch. But here's the thing. If, if I go ahead and buy these top singers CDs, and uh, I just dated myself. If I stream Apple Music or Spotify or whatever, okay, nobody even had. I just took a CD player out of my car, so I want you to know I'm relevant, okay? But you stream the music, and it's the top 40 most likely, you're hearing people sing songs about things that are directly contradictory to God and His Word. So then we say, well, I, I, I'm going to listen to that. Well, now our children are listening to the same music, so they're being raised with what is normal in the sinful realm being sang about. And, well, and people could say, well, well yeah, well, I don't want to listen to secular music. It's not good. Well, listen, secular music... They are incredible singers. They're some of the most gifted people in the world. Of course, the music's going to be catchy, and it's going to pull you in, and the beat's going to be great, and it's going to be well done. Nobody's saying don't listen to secular music because it's not good. Like, it's great as far as talent. But I'm not going to bring that into my ears and let that in my heart. I'm not going to watch certain things. Why? Because if I watch all of the top rated R movies at the box office, there is no way, there is no way my heart can be pure. It's impossible. So I'm going to make decisions about, about, and again, well, you see a preview and say, well, I don't watch that because that, that doesn't look interesting. Are you kidding me? You throw in some movie with a fast car and some guns. I'm like, wow, that looks cool, man. Like, it's not that, oh, I just have no interest in it. No, I'm not going to allow myself to view that. Why? Because it gets in my heart. 
And so everything, it's not, oh, that religion's strict. No, this is up to you. This is the way you live your life. I'm not going to show up unannounced on your doorstep and ask to see your history of what you streamed. But what we wear, what we say, the way we dress, the friends we hang around, the things we watch, things we listen to, how we respond in church is a reflection of what's in our heart. Why? Because to me, if somebody just sits here for a whole service, after service, after service, just stares at me. Chances are, I don't always preach home run messages. But out of 10 messages, I'm feeling confident one of them might be decent. So if you can sit through with zero response, 10 messages, I'm like, you know, the problem might not be me. The praise team is pretty solid. But I know sometimes they might get off or they might, you know, maybe get off tune or miss a beat. But 10 services worth of three songs a service, that's 30 services. 30 songs. Go back to that intelligence thing. So 30 songs. If you can sit down through 30 songs and stare at me, either you have a physical ailment, and we need to pray because there might be some stuff going on. Or I can look and say, that person's not really connected with God. You're just being judgmental. No, I, I have eyes that still work for now. And you've sat through 30 songs and haven't responded at all or given God any form of worship, like the scripture talks about with clapped hands, raised hands, tears, worship, dancing, jumping, all the things scripture talks about. I have never seen one of those things. So I can safely say, based on what I've seen and what I read in scripture, is there's a disconnect. I don't need a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge to know this. And so this is, these, all of these things are reflections of what's in our heart. Someone doesn't just fall into sin. You know, we think about like those old cartoons like Roadrunner, Coyote, and, and, like, and like they go, and then like he puts a, like a blanket over the street. And he's like, Phew. like we fell into sin think that's the way sin works. Somebody does not like, oh, I'm on fire for God on Monday. I'm walking with God. Lord, bless this Monday. I'm a man of God. Lord, help me to walk in your spirit. And Tuesday, I'm like, well, what just happened? I just got drunk and high and I'm sleeping with someone else. Like that, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens when someone says, when the preacher, the pastor, the speaker, hey, that's a path you don't want to go. Be careful. You're going to, there's all kinds of pitfalls. There's stuff that way. And we are like, well, what's exactly that way? Adam and Eve did not just all of a sudden, I, I, I was literally running and worshiping God. And I tripped. And when I fell, the, 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 well, the apple, the, we don't know if it's an apple. Let's pretend it's an apple. I, it, it literally went right into my mouth and I fell into the sin. No, it started with, that's the tree. Is that the tree, honey? That's the tree, huh? Why, why in the world does he not want us to eat that tree? I'm going to go check it out. I'm just going, I'm taking the dog for a walk. I'm taking, maybe it was the tiger or lion, I don't know. <laughs> taking the dog for the walk. I'm just kind of hanging around the tree. Like, huh, it's a nice looking tree. Pretty solid. Man, I bet you that fruit tastes good. Oh, hath God said what? Hath God said, and then we start going, man, is God's word really true 
And are there really consequences if I don't follow God's word? Brother Jimmy dropped a bobby pin. <laughs> and are there, uh, is it really true? I'll, I'll be nice, being a nice guy. It might have been Scott, so you can hand it to him. I don't know, I'm not sure. So, uh, they, they're, they're sitting there walking. Is it really true? Well, that's because they're sitting there hanging around and wait. Sin doesn't, you don't just fall into sin. Something in my heart says I'm willing to negotiate with godly principles. He said, Sin is never, ever, never, not one time, ever, never, ever, never an outside issue. It's never external. It's never based on my situation or, oh, I just fell into it. Or, or no, the person I was living with, living next to. Or no, it was this other thing. Or no, this person made me so angry they made me cuss. Like, what? Because when someone cusses, what is that? Oh, I slipped. No, the, I guarantee when someone has a, a, a foul mouth, I, 100 times out of 100, take me to what they're watching and listening to. Because some things were let inside the heart that have been able to grow. And so, when you, when you, this is all, this is, this is a heart issue. Sin is always a heart issue. It's never anything different. When our heart is right, all the other things on the outside, they reflect what's in the heart. That's why the Bible puts so much premium emphasis on the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else. It determines the course of your life. Now, I don't carry cash, but I have Apple Pay here on my phone. If, if you went to Worlds of Fun and you set your phone down on a ledge and said, I'm going to go ride this ride. I'll be right back. Who here would do that? Not a single soul. Because there's information. There. I, I, the, the phone itself is expensive. God help us if we guard our phones more than we guard our hearts. Amen. I mean, because right now if I started to say, hey, I want to read some text messages. Anybody got a phone? I just want to read what you've been, been texting. I ain't nobody in here going to be like, yeah. Go ahead. I don't, you know, well, and it's not even because it's sinful or wrong or unholy, but it's private. Like, you don't need to read my, it's my business. I don't need to read my text messages. There's a guarding. There's a, they sell phones now based on security, and it started with the thumbprint and the facial recognition. We all got freaked out about that, you know, like, whoa, they're reading our faces. They've been reading your faces for a long time, Okay. But there's security. There's something that says, I guard. I guard what's valuable to me. He says, guard your heart above all else. There's nothing in your life you should guard more than your heart. Because your heart, it dictates, it determines the course of your life. Want to know what, what you're going to be? I'd say to my wife sometimes, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm growing up. I should figure that out, right? You might not know exactly, but you want to know where you're going to end up. What's in your heart? What's in your heart? When Judas opened his mouth during this most powerful moment of worship, it was just a reflection 
of what was in his heart. And all of our responses during moments of worship and the word are reflections of what is in our heart. I never want to lose anyone, but I do take solace in the fact that even Jesus himself could not preach some of his followers into heaven. Why? Because I could bring in, I'm not the greatest speaker in the world, but I could find that person and I could bring them in here. I could bring in the greatest worship team. Hers is pretty good, but maybe there's one better. We could bring anybody in. And it still will not guarantee that everybody makes it to heaven. Why? Because you are the only one who guards your heart. Jesus himself could not preach Judas into heaven. What did Judas see? I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? He heard the stories about water turning into wine. And he's, he, he, no doubt, the Samaritan woman. You, oh, yeah, the man you're with is not your husband. And what? Whoa. He, he saw blind eyes healed, the dead raised. I mean, like, he saw all this stuff. Jesus, he heard the stories as he talked to the professional Christians and the Pharisees. And, and he says, keep your eye on the kingdom. Don't get caught up with the world. And he heard all the greatest message from the greatest teacher and speaker in human history, Jesus Christ himself. I wish, I'm telling you, there's times I will never stand in this pulpit and purposely go after one person. Never. It will never happen. But there's times where I'm preaching and I'm sharing my heart and all of a sudden God allows me to see a face. And in that moment, while I'm speaking, it's a crazy and a cool thing at the same time. While I'm speaking, God will be like, I am reaching to that person right now. And I don't stop and go, Brother Keith, he's reaching to you right now. Like some people do that. That's not the way I feel to do. And he might be, but that, that was just an example. But so, so, so. You're sitting here, and, and, and all of a sudden, I, I see this. And you know what? Some of the times I get done preaching, and I watch that person walk to an altar. And I go, oh, thank God. And other times I watch that person just stand up and walk straight out the back door. And a little piece of my heart dies as I watch that. And I'm like, oh. Because God just spoke and said I was reaching to that person. How many times did Jesus Christ reach to Judas? How many times? How many messages did Judas walk away from? How many miracles did he see where he heard a message and he said, well, that was for the Pharisees. Well, that was for the crowd. And his heart would never receive the word and say, oh my God, my God, my God, that one was for me. How many times did Judas say, well, it must be for someone else. After all, I'm a follower of Christ. I've seen it. I've been serving right alongside of him. But had he been around the miraculous and powerful moments of worship so long that it no longer phased him or moved him in any way? Judas thought all of it was about someone else, and he did not guard 
his own heart. No doubt, especially if you've been raised in this, I'm probably never going to preach a message that you have not heard before. If you've been raised in this your whole life, I might have a fresh approach. I mean, Christmas time, preachers all over the world are trying to figure out how to, how to preach that different. I mean, like, God took on flesh and he was born of a virgin. How many ways can you preach that? But I'm probably never going to sit here and you go, whoa, that blew my mind. I've never seen that before. And so we have to guard our heart. Because otherwise, we sit on a pew with our arms crossed. Now, I've heard that song. heard that message. I've already seen that one before. That one's been done. Good try. That was, that was creative. Hope the guests heard it. Hope the people on the fringes heard it. If I ever heard this one. I serve in ministry. I walk with Jesus all the time. And if we're not careful. get up. We can walk out of the Last Supper. And we can reach the point where we backslide. What? The hand-picked disciple of Jesus, who he trained, invested to, gave responsibility to, handled the money, walked with him, saw the miracles, the guy backslid. Yeah, he didn't just backslide, he committed suicide and hung himself. That's a tragedy. Why? Because when our heart isn't right and worship enters the room, when your heart's not right, worship in the room makes you uncomfortable. When people come up to the front and there's tears and people speaking in tongues, crying and praying with each other, and you're sitting there going, all right, was this almost done? Got to get on with the service. When your heart's not right, worship and pursuit of God makes you uncomfortable. You see, like Judas, like us, it, we will either examine our hearts and repent, or we will get up and leave unchanged. Every message, every time of worship, we will either examine our hearts. Even you say, oh, I've heard that one before. There's never a time. My dad raised me, Gary. There is never, ever a time that you don't go to an altar after a message. That's the way I was raised. Because it does not matter what the message was about. You go to the altar and you go, God, what are you trying to say to me? Lord, examine my heart. Why? Because that heart is deceitful, Scripture says. And so I think, and no one can know it, but we think we do. Scripture says it's deceitful. No one knows it. But we think we know ours. We have to find a place regularly, daily. God, examine my heart. Bring things to the surface that don't belong there. God, if there's anything in there that's not like you, oh my God, 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 I'm begging you to forgive me and help me to get it out. Lord, I don't want that. I, and that's why scripture in Ezekiel prophesies, he says, you're going to need a new heart. 
a stony heart will be replaced with the heart and with the heart of the spirit of that Jesus. I'm going to put my spirit within them and replace the stony heart of flesh. That's why, because we needed a new heart. Because this one's deceitful and wicked, and so no one knows it, but we have to examine it regularly. And we will either examine it and repent, or we will leave unchanged. And I'm about to close, but this here could be one of the most powerful moments of your life. Online, here today. Because like Judas had a last supper, you either stand up and go, that was interesting, I, I, that, that was good. And you walk out without examining your heart. Or you find a place and you go, God, Lord, what's in there? What's not like you? Because if we walk out and leave unchanged, we, that can only go on for so long before the heart becomes cold and unreachable. For Judas, he stood up. He left. He backslid. He ignored the message. And he committed suicide. All because he sat through message after message, worship service after worship service, and thought it was for someone else. And he continually left his own heart unexamined and unchanged. Folks, at the center of your soul today, there is a treasure. Something that you yearn for more than anything else. It fills your heart with desire. It shapes your core values. Your finances revolve around it. Your schedule develops around it. It's the thing that drives your life. And as you hear messages like this one, messages that call for listeners to examine their own hearts, it's easy to keep going down your same path, just assuming it's for someone else. It certainly can't be for you. You're a follower of Jesus. Jesus is part of your life. You serve right alongside of him. But be careful today. Because what is the thing that drives your life? What is the thing your soul yearns for? If it's not Jesus Christ in a relationship with him, something's not right in my heart. There's times where I know I'm not right. I mean, I'll be walking around. I'll be doing something. I'll just stop and I will say, God, what's going on inside of me? I literally say that to God. God, what's going on inside of me? All of a sudden I feel myself snap, get frustrated and I go, what's going on inside of me? Something's not right. Just be careful because sometimes the ones who spend the most time around the things of God are the ones who can fall away very easily because they think because they're so involved in the things of God, they could lack a relationship with God. But because I'm close to the things of God, I leave my heart unguarded. We cannot consistently live in a manner that is inconsistent with where we place our values. Out of the abundance of 
your heart, your mouth will speak. Judas said things that were a tragedy. I mean, it was, it was red flags. It was just a reflection of his heart. And so today, as you stand to your feet, what a tragedy to read stories about those who were so close to the church, who sat in so many powerful moves of worship and moments of worship, but were so far from God. And here's another one of those messages where God is reaching to someone, to multiple people, in person, online. But only you know what's in your heart. Unless God gives me a miraculous word of wisdom, word of knowledge, which he does at times, I don't know what's in your heart right now. And I'm not going to try to tell you what's in your heart. You know what's in your heart. But maybe you haven't examined your heart in a while. The course of your life, both here and in eternity, will be determined by this sole thing. What's in your heart? Everything you're going to do and be on this earth and everything that you're going to do and be in eternity, where you will spend eternity, will be dictated by this one thing. What is in your heart? And that's a moment like this where I invite you to respond. Everybody's going to respond. But like Judas, you will either walk away from Jesus or like the other followers and many other stories you read, you will either turn and walk toward Jesus. But we will respond. Today, I want to find a place and begin to examine my heart. And I invite you to do the same.